By downloading or listening to this podcast, you are agreeing to Moody's legal terms and conditions found at moody's.com slash disclaimer, including that the information provided is not investment or financial advice, and that Moody's will not be liable for losses arising from your use of the information. Hi, welcome to another episode of Moody's Talks Muniland, the podcast about credit dynamics in U.S. public finance. I'm your host, Nick Samuels, from Moody's U.S. public finance team in New York. Parts of America's port sector are being newly challenged, not by the domestic economic forces we've discussed before on Muniland, but by international events. From attacks by Houthi rebels in the Middle East that are disrupting shipping through the Suez Canal to drought-induced restrictions in the Panama Canal, these critical trade arteries are under strain. The credit repercussions for U.S. ports are mixed, depending on geography. For East and Gulf Coast ports, big players in U.S.-Asia trade, potential shifts in cargo volume could be negative. But maybe West Coast ports stand to gain. To pilot us through the turbulence, we'll talk with Moody's U.S. ports expert, Moses Kotmar. Moses, welcome back to Muniland. Thank you for having me, Nick. Moses, I feel like whenever you come on to discuss ports in Muniland, it's in the context of some sort of disruption. And now they're pretty macro ones, Middle East geopolitics and climate change. So first describe what's going on and how it's impacting global cargo. You're right. This is really kind of, at this point, the second major disruption we've had through the Suez Canal. People will remember we had the ever given ship that ran aground. You know, that was in March of 2021 and was, you know, temporarily lodged and and blocking the canal for a number of days. This time around, we have a situation where there are Houthi rebel attacks in the Red Sea, which is the way that ships enter the Suez Canal coming from Asia and India. The Attacks have resulted in the effective closure of the canal. They have attacked about 15 ships since October of 2023, and as a result, ships cannot pass safely through the Suez and are having to reroute and uh, kind of reconfigure their supply chain you know, approaches as a result. The Panama Canal is the other key trade artery that is still operational, but that has been affected by drought, as as you mentioned in your intro. The uh, canal, the Suez is a seawater canal. The Panama Canal is a freshwater canal. And the water levels and the ability to manage the locks in the Panama Canal depend on rainfall. Rainfall is about 40% less than it is historically. And it's been the driest since 1950. And so they've had to encounter or really, you know, adapt to lower water levels. And that has forced them to limit the number of ships that can sail through the canal and how deep those ships can draft is a technical term. But really what it means is ships cannot carry as much cargo. And so companies have to fill their ships less than they ordinarily would. Okay. So those are the global implications. What are the specific impacts on U.S. ports? The two canals are most relevant for U.S. ports trade with Asia, right? The port of New York trades with Brazil. That South America service would not necessarily use the Panama Canal or the Suez Canal at all. Asia is hugely important to the U.S. It is the largest trading region for the U.S. It is where 
more than two-thirds of the container cargo that we import comes from. And if you are an East and a Gulf Coast port, your ability to trade with Asia is very dependent on the canal, on either canal. And a big part of that is, is geography. There are some other factors in there too. But generally, when we look at East Coast ports, for example, like New York or Virginia or uh, Savannah, Georgia, these ports do a little over a third of their total container trade with Asia via the Suez. And they do about a little under two-thirds of their total container trade with Asia via the Panama Canal. So when you aggregate that, it's a lot of their trade with Asia goes through one of the two canals. And if they can't access the canals, ships have to sail around the bottom of Africa in the case of the Suez or the bottom of South America in the case of the Panama Canal. And that adds about a 30 to 40 percent increase to the overall sailing time. And it makes their ability to trade with Asia much less competitive, mainly from the perspective of the customers who who rely on these ports. And so it has it has big implications in that regard. Okay. So most of what you just described are exposures for the East Coast ports and the Gulf Coast ports. Is this neutral for West Coast ports or do they even stand to benefit in some way? Great question. They actually stand to benefit. So West Coast ports, really for all practical purposes, don't rely on either canal. There is a little bit of trade, you know, for example, that may come from the West Coast through the canal to the East Coast of South America or something like that. But all of their trade with Asia is across the Pacific and is not reliant on either canal. The second thing is that the West Coast ports have a lot of rail infrastructure that allows them to connect to markets throughout the U.S. So think major markets like Chicago, Memphis, uh, even as far east as Atlanta can be served through Los Angeles and Long Beach, even the port of Tacoma in, in Washington. So shippers are able to reposition some of their cargo away from markets like Virginia or Georgia or even Houston if necessary, and instead reroute that cargo through the West Coast, load it onto rail at a West Coast port, and then bring it to the ultimate destination. It's a little bit of a more expensive option for them, but it's a significantly shorter transit time. Shorter transit time even pre the disruptions to the canals. Now with the disruptions to the canals, it is a a much more viable option for a lot of customers. So we think that there is going to be some shifting of cargo. Some types of cargo can't really shift back. Either the cargo is is very low value and it's too sensitive to a higher cost of transport, or the cargo really has to go to that East Coast port market for a particular reason. But there is some cargo that can be shifted, and we think the West Coast ports are are going to see additional volume as a result. And quick follow-up to that, because you mentioned the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. And on a prior episode of Muniland, we talked about how labor and wage pressure had really led during the pandemic to big, big backups in those ports. Is that overcome now? That's a great point. So the labor situation at those ports is stable. They have agreed to a new long-term contract. So there is you know, a lot of comfort on the part of 
shippers using those ports, that they have kind of a stable labor regime for, for the foreseeable future. The backlog of ships, right, you know, over 100 ships at anchor during the height of COVID, that is down to essentially zero today. Uh, so the congestion has come way down in addition to the labor situation being more stable. So West Coast ports are, are very well positioned in that regard. Conversely, the labor uncertainty now has transitioned to the East and Gulf Coast, which have a different union. And that contract is coming up for negotiation this year with a scheduled expiration in the fall of 2024. And it remains to be seen how that how that evolves, right? So that's just kind of an added layer of uncertainty for users of East and Gulf Coast ports and an incremental element of stability uh, for the West Coast. All right. You also recently published a 2024 outlook for the U.S. port sector. So what's happening with them overall, in particular in the context of cargo demand, since it was so high during the pandemic and now consumer demand has leveled off more? Great point. So you're right. We saw very, very strong growth in 21 and generally 22 kind of cargo started to really level off but remained at that elevated level. But we saw a big correction in 2023, cargo volume fell over 10% throughout the sector. So ports are much closer to their pre-COVID trend now than they were. Over those several strong years, though, they had very good revenue growth that really helped kind of bolster the financials of, of many ports. So they enter 2024 with very high revenue levels, very healthy balance sheets. And that Combined with the business model, which I think we've talked about before, a lot of ports are landlords and receive a lot of their revenue in the form of rent or other types of fixed revenues from customers that protect them from short-term fluctuations in volume. So the, the financial profiles are healthy. The business models insulate them relatively well from short-term you know, declines in volume. And the capital spending needs remain relatively manageable throughout the sector. So we have a stable outlook for the sector currently based on that. There are some other positive drivers like what's happening with crews. But generally, we view ports as well-positioned to manage a low-growth environment, which was our base case entering 2024, you know, and to the extent these canal issues do result in additional volume pressures, uh, we, we see ports as remaining uh, well-positioned to, to deal with that. And you mentioned cruise. That's a relative bright spot for the sector right now, too, isn't it? That is. Cruise, cruise is performing exceptionally well. The major cruise ports in the U.S. are seeing record levels. The cruise markets that, that are served out of the U.S. are really in the Caribbean, the Gulf of Mexico, and Alaska. There are some, a little bit of cruising in Hawaii, but cruise generally does not rely on either of the canals to, to operate. There is exceptionally strong consumer demand for cruising. The cruise lines have record bookings and record pricing generally across the board. So it's, it's a very positive environment. We think the rate of growth is going to be less in 2024 just because it's going to be so hard to kind of, you know, sustain the growth that we saw in 23. But uh, it's absolutely a bright spot, especially for ports like Miami and Canaveral and New Orleans, um, you know, and even Port of Seattle, uh, which has a strong Alaska cruise business. All right, great. Moses, thanks so much for joining us. That's all for now from Muniland. I'm Nick Samuels. Don't forget to hit subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Join us the second Thursday 
of every month. We'll talk with you then. Thanks for listening to this Moody's Talks podcast. To find out more about the topics discussed, please follow the links in the show notes. You can check out other Moody's Talks podcasts by visiting moody's.com slash podcasts.